Well, happy Easter, everyone. I mean, you, you do realize it's, it's still Easter, don't you? We are actually seven Sundays into the Easter season. That's right. Our services still begin with, Alleluia, Christ is risen. We still sing, this is the feast of victory for our God. The Paschal candle is still out and lit. And so, yes, happy Easter. Even as I'm sure it feels like the resurrection party has run its course. Even as I know, I'm sure it feels like the Easter celebration was a long, long time ago, a thing of the past. Which means we all might be a little susceptible right now to think that the Jesus story is over. I mean, when you read any of the four gospel accounts, they all end the same way, don't they? They all end with the resurrection of Jesus. And yes, I know it took us a while to get there. I mean, we had to make our way from the birth of Jesus at Christmas to John the Baptist. We then had to work through all the the teachings and healings of Jesus, from when he calls his disciples to his exchanges with the Pharisees, to his journey to Jerusalem, his triumphal entry, his betrayal, arrest, suffering, crucifixion. I mean, it took us a while to get there. It's a long story, but we finally made it to the finish line. He is risen from the dead. End of story. Except that's not the case at all, is it? No, the Jesus story doesn't end with Easter. It's just been handed off. And guess what? Here's the big news for today. It's been handed off to you. To you and to me. This is actually how the book of Acts begins. It begins by reminding us that the Jesus story is not over. You see, the author of Acts is also the author of one of our four gospel accounts, the gospel according to Luke, same author. And at the beginning of Luke's gospel, not Acts, the beginning of his gospel, this is what he tells us that he's setting out to do. He says, I decided, after investigating everything carefully, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, of the events that have been fulfilled among us. Of course, he's referring to the events of Jesus, which is the story he goes on to tell, the the Jesus story. And you heard that it's a story dedicated to a particular person, a man named Theophilus, which means lover of God. Most scholars believe him to be a wealthy Jewish patron who was probably the sponsor for Luke's writing project, for his gospel. And I bring all of this up because of how Luke's second book begins, the book of Acts. It's very similar so that it connects the book of Acts with the gospel of Luke. So listen to how Acts begins. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach from the beginning until the day he was taken up to heaven. In other words, this Jesus story isn't over. For in Luke's gospel account, Luke writes all about what Jesus began to do and teach, suggesting that now in this second book, the book of Acts, he is going to write about what Jesus continues to do and teach. 
Now, that's a pretty, pretty interesting point to bring up, but we are still left scratching our heads when we hear this statement, aren't we? Because the book of Acts actually begins the way the book of Luke ends, with the ascension of Jesus. With the resurrected Jesus departing from earth, so that now the main character of the Jesus story is gone. He is no longer physically present. I mean, that should make us wonder. How can Luke state that he's now writing a second book about what Jesus continues to do if this Jesus is in fact now gone? No longer on the ground, no longer in the story. Imagine going to watch a, a Batman sequel where Batman, you know, makes an appearance in the opening scene of the movie, and then that's it. I mean, you feel cheated. Or what if you were starting to work through the Harry Potter series, excited to move on to book two, The Chamber of Secrets, when all of a sudden Harry Potter disappears from the story for good? That's what Acts chapter one feels like. A book that is supposed to be all about what Jesus continues to do and teach, but then he walks right off the stage. No wonder his disciples are left standing on the Mount of Olives, dumbfounded, mouths gaping wide, eyes squinting, staring into the clouds. We just lost the central character of our story. I mean, think about this. Jesus just proved himself by the resurrection to be Israel's king. The long-awaited king of Israel, and he's finally here. I mean, yes, it's been quite a ride. We, we didn't expect him to be crucified by our enemies. We didn't expect him to physically rise from the dead. But nevertheless, here he stands, the resurrected king. And he's been appearing to us for a period of, of about 40 days, teaching us more and more about what the kingdom of God is like, what this means. So Jesus, this must be it. This must be the time. Come on, let's, let's, let's get on with it. What are we waiting for? Restore the kingdom, for we can hardly wait to see how this Jesus story continues to play out. To which Jesus says, It is not for you to know the times that my Father has set, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then he just disappears over our heads and into the clouds. Just like that, our long-awaited king is gone. And what did he say? He said, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Did you catch that? What is that? Is this a, a divine handoff or something? Is it now up to us? Are we now the main characters in the Jesus story? My friends, today is supposed to be a day when we ponder the gravity of this moment, of what is really happening here, of the responsibility that has now been placed in our hands. Today we are meant to feel the weight of it all, the weight of the divine handoff. From a young age, my grandfather, whom we called Papa, 
he was keen to teach me how to drive. And so we would get out on these long country roads in the flatlands of West Texas, roads that would just disappear over the horizon. And at first, I was too short to reach the pedals. So he'd, you know, he'd plop me on his lap so I could put my hands on the wheel now. And I'm sure for the first few drives, he would sneak a firm grip on the bottom of that steering wheel, you know, out of precaution. But over time, you know, I developed a feel for turning this way, turning that way, staying in my lane, that kind of stuff. But then I remember the day when I was tall enough to reach those pedals. The day when Papa got into the car on the other side, on the passenger side, tossed me the keys and said, you drive. I was about 12 years old. Not something I'm recommending to anyone right now. I'm just saying that I still remember feeling the weight of that moment. Behind the wheel of a tan 1985 Ford Crown Victoria. This was big time. A huge responsibility. I could hurt someone with that thing. And that, my friends, is something like what we're meant to feel today. Just much, much more. I'm sure you have probably felt the weight of a new responsibility before, right? Maybe the day you uh, officially took charge of the family business. Uh, the day you brought home your first child. The day you were given a new position, right? A, a, you got into a new school, whatever it is. You, you know what that feels like, the weight of that moment. You've been given this responsibility. I remember... Father Chuck's last day as the rector of this church. We had been preparing for the handoff for months, and now the day had come. And as he headed out of the building that day, the last thing he said to me as the rector of this church was this, take care of the people. And then he was gone. No longer the rector. That had now passed to me, and that's when I felt it this incredible weight placed upon me. This weight, this, 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 the gravity of the moment, right? That's what this day is all about. Today, we are on the Mount of Olives along with this disoriented band of disciples as Jesus tosses us the keys to the kingdom and says, you drive. And then he's gone. Today, we are feeling the weight of it all, the weight of the divine handoff. Now, I realize this might sound strange to some, as if I'm saying something like, you know, God has done his part, now it's all up to, to us, like, like he's out on vacation or something. But that's a misread of the moment. Yes, there is something unique about this moment in time, about this juncture in the Jesus story, but I also want to remind you that this Divine handoff is something that is intrinsic to the nature of God himself. Not in the sense that God is no longer involved, but in the sense that God longs to be partnered with. God's desire has always been to empower the pinnacle of his creation, us human beings, to rule his world with him. God has never wanted mindless robots to control and just pre-program, make sure we all obey, but rather, he wants free agents who become capable of working with him to bring order and beauty and, and life into the world, to be 
co-creators with God, vice-regents with God. Or as 1 Peter puts it, to be a royal priesthood. That's God's heart. We could go back to the creation account in Genesis 1 and listen once more to what God tells the human race. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it and have dominion over everything that lives. This, by the way, is what it means to say that we were created in the image of God. Not that we are God, not that we become God, but that we learn how to participate with God in establishing his glorious kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We need to feel the weight of that responsibility, right? That even when we make a mess of things, this call to participate with God, it never goes away. It's intrinsic to who God is. We could go all the way back to the call of Abraham in Genesis 12 and listen once more to what God tells him and and his descendants. He says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you so that, right? Because I got a job for you. You're going to partner with me so that you will be a blessing to the nations. So that in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is a partnership, a partnership that sets the trajectory for the entire Old Testament. Israel, Abraham's descendants, was was to be a people who housed the very presence of God so that they may partner with him for the good of the world. Do you feel that? That is a heavy responsibility. And even when they, too, make a mess of things. This call to partner with God, it it never goes away, right? It just enters a new phase of the story so that it becomes now the Jesus story. As Jesus accomplishes what no one else could, he restores the image of God in us. He restores our humanity so that now we can become fully human, fully given over to God, fully capable of receiving the weight of the divine handoff. Amazing, yes, but my goodness, how can this be? How is this possible when history is littered with so many past defeats, so much human failure, so many human tragedies? What's going to make this divine handoff different? What is unique about this day, about this moment in time? Well, it's it's found right there in our passage in Acts chapter 1. Right after Luke tells us that Jesus taught his disciples about the kingdom of God, the text says that Jesus then orders his disciples not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait. To wait for the promise of the Father. And what is that? What are we waiting for? Jesus tells them, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That's the key difference here. That's how Jesus has made this divine handoff possible. By forming a community that will be filled with the Holy Spirit. A new humanity empowered by the Spirit to partner with God in continuing everything that Jesus is going to do and teach, right? You see... The weight of the divine handoff is meant to drive us to open up our hands and pray, come Holy Spirit, right? That's what this responsibility is meant to make us do. I mean, that's the only way that this can happen 
Jesus working through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's why our collect for the day, I don't know if you noticed, at the beginning of the service, makes this bold request. Oh God, do not leave us comfortless, but send us your Holy Spirit to strengthen us. That's our prayer. That's how this is going to happen. How we will ultimately be witnesses of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Friends, we need to feel the weight of this responsibility. I, I, I think there are far too many Christians who think Christianity is just something you do maybe once a week. Make sure you're a good, nice person. Check that box, check that box. No, no, no. We have been given the keys of the kingdom. The, the, the ministry work that Jesus began is placed in our hands as the church. We need to feel the weight of that responsibility. And that needs to drive us to be desperate for the Spirit's power in our lives, right? Because the Jesus story part two continues and we are the main characters. Man, that should make us desperate to immerse ourselves in the life of the church. It should make us desperate to cultivate practices of prayer and learning and service because the responsibility is now ours. The reign of God on earth is now placed in our hands, the hands of this Spirit-filled community called the church. So let's make it our prayer. Lord, have mercy upon us. This responsibility is so great. It's so huge that we cry, come Holy Spirit, fill this church, fill our hearts and our minds, empower us to become a people who participate with God the Father in bringing the kingdom of Jesus to bear upon this broken world. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.